This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson along with Michael Remus for you. And we have a lot to get to today. Uh, Dave Pagnotto of the fourth period will join us in a few minutes. We'll uh, discuss everything going on around the National Hockey League at the beginning of September with training camps just a few weeks away. Kotkaniemi, uh, Saga, probably get into Evander Kane and um, much, much more as well. Um, Of course, Jack Eichel, what's going on with him? We'll touch all the big hockey stories. Now, no bigger hockey story then last night's big win for Canada over the United States. Another thriller. Remo and I will get to that in just a minute. And a little bit later on, lots of football talk, both north and south of the border, with one of our faves here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, the one and only Mo Khan from Montreal. Um, right off the bat, welcome to all of you that are with us live on YouTube. Thank you so much to those of you listening to the podcast that are making us a part of your day. For you podcast folks, uh, do what you can, spread the word, let people know that daily sports content for Winnipeg and Manitoba sports is available right here at Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. And if you haven't already, uh, do us a favor when you have a chance, get down to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, give us a five-star rating, maybe a nice review. It certainly helps us grow the channel. As always, uh, we wouldn't be doing it without the support of our amazing sponsors, including... Canadian Club Whiskey, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Not Autocorp, Boston Pizza, Assiniboia Downs, Little Brown Jug, Breezy Bend Country Club, and Cool Bet Canada. Let's get to it and welcome in the CTO of WST, one Michael Remus. Remo, what's going on? And uh, <laughs> what a game. Uh, we said yesterday on the program that, you know, Canada had that big resounding win over the United States early in the tournament. No one expected that to happen last night. And considering the history between these two clubs in the world championships and in the Olympic games, I don't think anyone should have been shocked that this one went to a thrilling overtime. But uh, finally, things went in uh, the home team's way. Canada on the back of Canadian hockey legend Marie-Philippe Poulet with the overtime winner. Uh, took a little while for them to realize it was a goal. She knew right away Canada on top of the world in women's hockey again, following in the footsteps of our women's soccer team who just won that gold medal in Tokyo a few weeks ago. Yeah, double gold against Team USA in extra time in soccer and hockey. Uh, pretty incredible. And we've been hyping up this gold medal game pretty much all tournament. They had the you know the round robin game where Canada dominated, but you knew this one was going to be closer, and it didn't seem that way at first. USA getting out to a two nothing lead, and you're like, oh man, they're they're in trouble here. I guess they you know used all their bullets in the round robin. Well, uh, second period comeback, two goals, and had to hang on in the third period. Hassan, I thought Canada's goalie played excellent, and you know they took a number of penalties um, in the late second and early third, and killed them all off. And you know, got it to overtime. You had a shot. You know, took took a while. Three on three. I was. I can be honest. I didn't know what the uh, what the overtime rules were going to be going into it. We're so used to international being pretty wonky. And I'd say this is depending on who you ask. This is pretty wonky. Three v three overtime. It had some great back and forth, but Canada outshot U.S. and uh, Marie Flupin got sprung loose. And uh, oh, what a laser of a shot! Bar down. No doubt about it. Uh, behind the line. It took well. Sorry, no doubt to, on the replay, 
but at the time it was just such a wicked shot and it didn't really go in the back of the net. It went far straight down behind the line and she knew it was in. And I wasn't sure if, it, I mean, I thought it was, but she had that reaction. I think it was in the third period where she was crashing the net and I thought she had a little premature celebration there, but she pointed, celebrated very reminiscent of the Pat, of the Pat Kane overtime goal. But, uh, you don't see that too often where the goal goes in and they blow the whistle down like 45 seconds later, and then uh, they can celebrate. And what a celebration it was, legendary celebration. <laughs> we can get to that. But uh, incredible, incredible game. You were, you know, we had that nail-biter of a game Sunday with the Bombers, and there we were again last night on the edge of our seats uh, with Canada and U.S. Uh, just incredible, incredible entertainment last night. That that rivalry between those two teams, and, and again, you know, we can speak to the fact that it's always Canada in the United States for the most part in the final, although it wasn't in 2019. Canada lost in the semifinals in one of the most shocking upsets in women's hockey history. Um, coming out of this tournament, though, I, I think that teams like Japan, uh, the Swiss in particular, really showed that they're moving forward. But there are two superpowers right now in women's hockey, and they are always going to measure themselves against each other. And more often than not, they're going down to, you know, one play being the difference between these clubs. You know, get this up. The history, the history of these two teams playing in the uh, in the in the championship game is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, We've got this from I think it was Brad Schlossman that tweeted this out last night. Here are the recent women's hockey finals with the uh, with the Canadians and the world at the world's. 2011 in the World Championship, overtime. 2012 was overtime. 2013 was in regulation. 2014, the Olympics, overtime. 2015, the World's in regulation. And the finals of the 2016 World's OT, 2017 OT, 28 Olympics OT, 2019 World's OT, and again, overtime last night in 2021. I'll tell you what, we often talk about bets on this program. You want maybe the safest bet in sports? You put the Canadian women against the American women on the ice in a matchup for a gold medal, you're guaranteed to get a classic. It happens each and every time, Remus, and we got another one last night. And considering the difficulties that our Canadian women have had over the last three, four years, getting one over on the Americans in the World Championships, just a huge, huge win for the team. But honestly... Overall, I have to give credit to Hockey Canada, the IIHF, and everyone that made it possible to get this tournament on the ice. Uh, because I'll tell you what, it was a pretty bad look when the tournament was canceled in Halifax and there was no real plan to still play this event. And, you know, they somehow had the world under-17s down in Plano, Texas. And, and it would have been a black mark on the sport. And it certainly would have been a black mark on the IIHF that somehow things were able to be made for junior male players, but the best women in the world wouldn't have an opportunity to play for gold. So uh, they pulled the tournament off. Credit to everyone in Calgary that made this thing happen safely. Um, but I'll tell you what, the, the one thing that really was missing last night, Remo, was the fans. And I know there were some friends and family that were there, a very limited crowd. Uh, but that game, that rivalry deserves to be played in, not in a three or 4,000 seat rink full of fans, no, like an NHL 20,000 rink full of fans. And I'll tell you what, if that was the case, um, it would have even been a more special moment just to watch because 
Um, these women are heroes. Marie Philippe Poulain. I mean, we can now talk about her in the annals of the greatest Canadian players ever. And listen, I know that there hasn't been a professional league, um, you know, established for many years like the NHL. So we don't have a lot of things outside of these international tournaments. But when you're talking about representing our country on the ice, playing for Canada, whether it be world championships or whether it be Olympics, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin, dating all the way back to her legendary performance in 2010, um, has to be right at the top of the list. And, you know, we've had Haley Wickenheiser and Cassie Campbell. Um, she is the next one and, uh, you know, is synonymous with women's hockey in the world. And certainly there is a reason why she was wearing the C. And, man, they needed her. They didn't need her in the first game, obviously. They definitely needed her last night. And um, that bar-down OT winner for a gold medal will be another one, honestly, of the greatest goals in Canadian hockey history. Yeah, uh, and you know, as you mentioned, USA has had Canada's number at the World Championship uh, from the five of them played um, from 2013. USA won. I mean, two of them in OT, one of them in a shootout, and Canada yesterday in overtime uh, was an incredible game. Mary Philly Poulain. I mean, her legend grows even further. 2010, uh, you know, gold gold medal winning goal, then overtime 2014 as well at the Olymp- you know, both at the Olympics. So Canada, you know, 2010 and 14 success. The Olympics not in 2018. There they were, you know, last night again, uh, coming out with the win. And it was uh, it was awesome to see. And the best part is, as they'll be doing this again, at least they'll having a premier, you know, women's hockey tournament at the Winter Olympics in China. So uh, if USA wants to get their revenge, um, you know, Canada wants to defend their title as the best hockey country. They've got like six months here in between tournaments. So, you know, the pandemic has kind of, uh, you know, mashed things together, but I think that's great. We're going to have some more uh, awesome hockey to look forward to. Well, and and I'll tell you what uh, I personally really hope comes out of this. Uh, And we've been talking about it for years. Um, You know, women's hockey has been really disjointed uh, outside of the international areas. There's been two rival leagues. There hasn't been enough money in it. Um, You know, many of the women have been playing, you know, and, and let's, we want to have, I mean, I'd love to see the best in the world, you know, playing on club teams, representing cities, or if this could, I mean, best case scenario would be something like the WNBA where the teams are affiliated with the NHL teams and in many of the clubs. Uh, But we need high level hockey for these women to play all year round, not just for these tournaments that come by once a year. Um, And I can tell you, I mean, I've told this story before a little bit. I mean, before I got into this business, um, you know, I spent a lot of time working with teams and then spent a couple of years with Hockey Canada putting on the World Women's Hockey Championship here in Winnipeg in 2007. And it's still arguably maybe the thing I'm most proud of in my entire career. Um, you know, how much work went into it, but the way that this city and this province embraced that event and really raised the bar to a level that, you know, we haven't seen enough over the course of the next 15 years. I think a professional league for women um, with the best in the world, these women are stars. I mean, we'd say the same thing about the women's soccer players. I mean, the more we can see them, the more opportunity to see them play and the more opportunity they have to grow the game themselves because they are the product um, makes too much sense. So I'm not sitting here saying this is what needs to happen. I mean, uh, support from something like the NHL, similarly the NBA would be massive. Um, you know, certainly some great corporate citizens that want to put some money behind it, I think would go a long way to do it. But I really do believe that if you had 
you know, women's hockey in a different format of these, you know, Olympic heroes and stars playing, you know, throughout the year, that it would be supported. People would watch it. And that's where we need to get to. So um, overall, it was great to see the game played last night. Uh, obviously, everyone here north of the border very fired up about that big Canadian win and another historic moment for, for Mary Flew Poulin. I also want to give a special Manitoba congratulations to Jocelyn The Rock. Um, Jocelyn The Rock has been a uh, a rock, if you will, excuse the pun, on the Canadian blue line for a long time. Uh, there she was wearing the A last night for Canada, and there she was with two assists, I believe the tying goal and the winning goal with her name on the score sheet. So um, she has done so much for Canadian hockey, has been sort of a quiet member of that club, but now uh, one of the players that's been there for the longest, that's been through all the ups and many of the downs, against the United States. Great to see Jocelyn get that gold medal. And uh, we'll certainly see if she can join us at some point when she gets back to Southern Manitoba on Winnipeg Sports Talk, because uh, that was a game, uh, much like I said, Remo, after the Canadian women won the gold medal, I spent about a week consuming every single bit of sound, audio, anything from the players. Um, the more we can hear from our Canadian women over last night. Um, I think there's a lot of people that just have such a great feeling. They can't get enough of it, but uh, fantastic to see Jocelyn get another gold medal uh, to add to her incredible collection as a member of Team Canada. Yeah, you talk about women's pro leagues. I mean, they figured it out for soccer in the U.S., NWSL, uh, WNBA doing very well. I know the ratings for um, you know, the NCAA women's tournament is very strong too. So you'd have to think if other leagues can succeed in the U S there is, a, there is, is a viable way to make it happen here. And you look, talk about TV ratings, uh, our friend Adam Seaborn on Twitter that the viewership last night for the gold medal game, 836,000 people. And that's a, it was number two program overall, uh, yesterday. Uh, only behind uh, the CTV news at six and 11. So, um, you know, I think the interest is definitely there and it's something uh, you'd like to see going forward. I know the women have been, uh, have been pushing for something uh, like that. Absolutely. A lot of love for Jocelyn, the rock in the end, the chat, Joe from Winnipeg. Uh, Jocelyn, the rock is from Manitoba. And we played on her uh, sister's uh, co-ed team. Nicest person you'll ever meet. Uh, Joe also said, I'd love to support uh, Winnipeg franchise in a WNHL. Uh, Mike Wynn, Jocelyn, well-deserved gold. And uh, much more so proud of our Canadian women. Schickster, great that we finally won gold in the Worlds after a long, a long drought. And uh, and Taylor Miller, I played with her before. So <clears throat> a lot of love for Jocelyn, the pride of St. Anne, Manitoba, and coming back to the province with another gold medal. Uh, one thing we should get to, Reem, and this mm. was an unfortunate part of winning gold. You, know, you talk about laying it all the line and the price to be paid and the injuries that somehow come on the way to a gold medal. We don't usually talk about an injury suffered celebrating a gold medal, but that is exactly what happened to Blair Turnbull, who suffered a broken fibula during last night's celebration. Um, you know, it was a scary moment for a minute. The way she got pulled out of the pile uh, was being worked on by the doctors. But a memory that I don't think anyone will forget, her on a stretcher being pulled out of the dressing room with the gold medal on to sing O Canada and celebrate with her teammates. Uh, I'll be honest, though, I was surprised when I heard the severity of the injury. Six to eight weeks out. Um, good news is it's a clean break. 
Um, but you never want to see that. But uh, I'll tell you, you could not take the smile off her face, even with the broken leg last night after the game. Yeah, it's actually incredible. I think she was kind of laughing about it. But what a legendary moment. Blair Turnbull breaking her leg in the dog pile after a celebration. You always wonder about, you know, you see Stanley Cup celebrations and stuff like that. You wonder, oh, hope hope no one gets hurt. But I think I think she was kind of, she had, seemed to have a good sense of humor about it at the time. She was in the celebrate, you know, the anthem line at the end in the, on the stretcher. Uh, I mean, really good. I gotta be honest, like may, probably not good, like physically, but really good for her brand. I, I know she's trending. Everyone's talking about it. And it's, I guess, you know, Canadian heritage moment memes being put out there, you know, uh, is pretty incredible. And it, it did remind me of other, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen someone hurt in a celebration. The first one comes to mind, Bill Grammatica, jumping up, and, say, jumping yeah. up and down, <laughs> celebrating a field goal. And the other one, Kendry Morales, former Blue Jay, when he was with the Anaheim Angels, uh, he, what, hit it like a walk-off homer and was jumping up and down on home plate and, like, tore his knee. So it is not unprecedented as people get hurt in celebrations, but this is uh, just a, an epic one in the gold medal game. Yeah, well, uh, as I said, uh, a big win for Canadian hockey, uh, a big win for hockey, the fact that this tournament was even played. And the great thing about it, as you mentioned, Reem, we're not going to have to wait another 12 months to see these teams go at it. Um, you know, all things going as planned. Um, we're going to have Olympic hockey in like less than six months. So um, count it down. The rematch, Canada, USA, count on it. They'll be playing for gold going forward. Um, all right, we've got lots to come up. Dave Pagnotta is going to join us. We're going to hit a number of NFL topics. Mo Khan coming up as well. Reem, I did want to touch on one story just before we get back to the hockey um, you know, yesterday, Justin Dunk was on us and we talked about Jake Ruby, the uh, Canadian guard for the Edmonton Elks being released from the club for um, disobeying or uh, breaking COVID protocol. Dave Naylor reported later on that he had um, misrepresented his vaccination status, um, which is a huge issue right now for teams and really not just for teams, but for employers um, for businesses right now as we go forward. And we've just received word that the Canadian Football League has banned teams from assigning ex-Elks O-lineman Ruby. Um, this is a pretty significant move by the club. Um, and again, if it comes down to people lying or misrepresenting their vaccination status, it does put a lot of people um, in a difficult situation and potentially danger to their health. Um, I got to give Randy Ambrosi credit for uh, having a hard line on this after the Elks apparently did as well yesterday, announcing that a very important part of their team, a Canadian on the old line, which is so important in the CFL, out, uh, not because of his play on the field, but because of the way he's been handling himself and misrepresenting or straight up lying on the fact that he had received the backs. Yeah, and we had Dunk on and he basically said, no, no, he, I guess he had different information that uh, he was saying he went out for dinner with his family, but... Uh, then right after we ended, it, it came out, Dave Nail reported that he misrepresented he, his vaccine status. And that is a definite no-no. You can't, you can't have that public health issue. And yeah, I think CFL has to you know, take action, say there's zero tolerance for this at all. And I mean, feel bad for the guy, but kind of don't because I mean, this is all self-inflicted. So um, 
you know, I guess better luck next year is what the CFL is uh, saying, saying to him. <laughs> Figure it out. Uh, you won't be banned for life, but you're not playing for the rest of this season. Of course, it is ban or it's not bangeable. It's Labor Day Classic weekend. We'll be hosting the Banjo Bowl next week. Um, by the way, planning on, I'll just give you a little tease here, folks, especially for those of you that uh, enjoy the lock shop, which I do with Dustin Nielsen. Dusty will be in Regina. He'll be calling the Bomber Rider game in Regina, and then he'll be here to call the Banjo Bowl for TSN, which gives us a perfect opportunity to do a live episode of the Lock Shop. So Banjo Bowl weekend, the Friday night, uh, we will announce the location coming up maybe by the end of this week, if not early next week. We're going to do it probably in and around 7 o'clock on a Friday night. So we'll uh, we'll serve it as a de facto Lock Shop and Winnipeg Sports Talk meetup. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. That's September 10th. We'll let you know about that coming up. All right, we are going to talk more about last night's game and all the stories coming into September in the National Hockey League with Dave Pagnotta of the fourth period. Uh, before that, I want to thank uh, a few of our sponsors, including Canadian Club Whiskey, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the official spirit of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Saw a lot of CC getting poured Sunday night at IG Field. I have a feeling that Regina, uh, hopefully there's enough for all the Bomber and Ryder fans getting here for the Labor Day Classic. And of course, when we fill IG Field for the Banjo Bowl the following weekend, you'll be able to quench your thirst with a great taste of CC and ginger, CC and Pepsi, or some of the other products they have at the building, including the Brugal Rum at the Rum Hut, of course, the Jim Beam Stillhouse and Northern Keep Vodka. And don't forget, we'll have another I Love Rye giveaway on Friday heading into the weekend. And then next week, a social media contest with a very special high-end product uh, prize from Canadian Club. You're not going to want to miss it here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, well, with the games going on this week, if you haven't got your bomber gear for the trip out to Regina, why not pop by Royal Sports? Uh, might have one or two of the Winnipeg Sports Talk hats left as well. It's Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway. We're going to be talking a lot of NFL over the course of the next week as we get ready for week one kickoff. Oh, tons of new gear, new hats are there. If you're, uh, you know, trying to spice up your NFL wardrobe, definitely the place to go. And of course, with jet season right around the corner, some new players, maybe a jersey's in the order as well. You can check out the bike selection, the camping gear, and of course, the biggest hockey section anywhere as you get ready for the season. Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. And again, I do want to mention, if you've got a hockey player in the family or just somebody looking for a job, whether it be part or full-time, Royal Sports is hiring right now. As Remus has on the screen, you can uh, hit Royal Sport, Royal Kings Pemina at gmail.com, Royal Kings Pemina at gmail.com, or just pop by with a resume at 750 Pemina Highway. Great place to work. A lot of my friends have worked there over the years, and uh, obviously just an incredible store. And of course, our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ Group, four locations in Winnipeg, DQ Northgate, DQ Neverville, DQ Polo Park and the DQ St. Anne's. We're back to a little better ice cream weather right now. Maybe pop by, grab a blizzard tonight. And don't forget, if you do have a party or an event coming up, there's nothing better than a DQ cake. Hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll take your order, figure it out, and have it ready for you quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs in the city of Winnipeg. All right, let's get back to some puck talk and welcome in from the fourth period. David Pagnotta. Dave, what's going on? It's great to talk to you again. How's the summer been going for you? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's been hot. It's been really hot up here in Toronto, but uh, it's cooling down now a little bit. So it's nice to get the windows open and not get all muggy. 
No, I hear that. I mean, we had, I swear we had about two months of 32, 33, yeah. 35 here. And uh, then it just sort of stopped. It'd been a little cooler the last little bit. I think people find it finally rained. I mean, it was a terrible drought. We got a lot of ag around here. So uh, it wasn't a great summer for that, but man, it's hot. But the bottom line is we're now getting into September Football season is here. We know what that means. Hockey season just around the corner. But listen, before we even get to the hockey season just around the corner, how about that game last night? I mean, is there a better (laughs) rivalry in sports right now than Canada and the USA and women's hockey? I was saying to Remus before, we love to talk a lot about betting on this program. If there's one thing you can take to the bank, almost a lock guaranteed is that you put Canada and the U.S. on the ice in women's hockey for a gold medal, you're going to get an absolute classic, and more than likely, you're going to get some free hockey after 60 minutes. Yeah, that was that was a thriller. I'm, I'm not fully sold on the three-on-three OT business but for a game like that, but, I mean, that, yeah, it was exciting. Back and forth in that final, uh, well, whatever it was, eight minutes, ten minutes, whatever, of, of that OT, but, I mean, it was it was intense. A lot of back and forth, a lot of action, and and throughout the entire game. You're right. Anytime the you know Team Canada is playing the United States, it's it's always a thriller. So it was another good one. Um, it was intense. It was funny at the end, I guess, after they won, and and uh, you get a little uh, injury. I thought her name completely escapes me, but um, it was uh, it was intense. And and already prepping for Olympics next year and everything, it's going to be. Uh, yeah. a, a pretty good stepping stone to that. Well, no doubt. Yeah, Blair Turnbull, um, right. yeah. broken fibula in the Oops. celebration. I mean, we were joking about Bill Gramatica back in the day, uh, you know, tearing his ACL, jumping right. up after a field goal, <laughs> and Kendrys Morales after his grand slam. Was a little hairy there for a minute, but I mean, the scenes of her, even with the broken leg, coming yeah. off a stretcher <laughs> with a smile ear to ear in the gold medal, I mean, just showed you how important that was. And, you know, I've been mentioning it was important as well for this tournament to be played. I mean, oh, I think yeah. it would have been an absolute <laughs> black mark on hockey, the IIHF, and really all the partners if, I mean, they somehow managed to get the World Under 17s played in Plano, Texas in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> uh, if the women's hockey was not put on, uh, it would have been. Um, it would have been disgraceful, frankly. So, I mean, credit yeah. to everyone that got it done. But I'll tell you what, that game should have been in front of 20,000 people in the stadium somewhere, and that really was missing. i got to ask you, though, Marie Poulin, her legend goes back to 2010 in the Olympics with what she'd done. A goal like that, an OT golden goal, um, you know, when you think of Canadians representing Canada on the world stage, Um, you have to put her name up right up with the greatest Canadians ever for her impact in gold medal games. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and for her to get that, that golden goal really solidifies or puts a stamp on, on her career, obviously to this point. Um, But just in terms of what you said, in terms of putting her at the upper tier echelon of top Canadian hockey players in these big pressure cooker moments over, over the course of history. I mean, she's been absolutely outstanding throughout her career and to ice it right now, with that, with that goal, uh, I mean, yeah, you you put her right up there, and again, and look, she knew goal scorers know, right? When the puck goes in the net, she knew exactly that 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 thing was in, and uh, I think just the whole sequence of everything, and then obviously waiting a few until they reviewed it, but um, just that whole sequence of her taking the shot, knowing it was in, kind of wondering what was that whole 
that, that whole play line is going to be something that we're going to be watching for a number of years on the highlight reels. Best thing about this is that we don't have to wait another year to see these teams yeah. go back. I mean, as big as the World Championships is, I mean, there's yeah. one Olympic gold medal every four years. It is the pinnacle of the sport for both of these teams. And uh, I'll tell you what, if that was what we got in the middle of August, just wait for what is to come for hockey fans when we get to Beijing. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that one. You're right. I mean, we're we're what? It's it's February that it's coming up. So, you know, less about a half a year away. So that definitely sets the tone for it. And you're going to be sure that the U.S. is going to want to get some kind of revenge uh, once that tournament, once the Olympics get underway. I mean, but um, look, great stepping stone. And like you said, we don't have to wait too long. So I'm excited for it. And obviously uh, it's going to be intense because, you know, the U.S. is going to want to get back at the Canadians for what just happened. No doubt. Well, you know, this is actually a perfect segue because there's a number of off-season hockey topics I wanted to get to, but we may as well start with the Olympics. Um, you're very well connected, talking to people throughout the hockey world. I mean, from the people I've talked to and some of the things I've seen out there, it seems that there's quite a bit of optimism that this is going to get yeah. done and get done quickly. What are you hearing about NHL participation in the Olympics, Dave? Yeah, I mean, barring some ridiculous change of events, um, it's going to happen. So uh, they've been, you know, there were, there were a few things that needed to happen, a few dominoes that, that, that needed to fall. Insurance is all being covered and, and all of that. I think that one of the things that have been kind of prolonging the overall decision was, was seeing what type of access the NHL will have from a highlight pack perspective and, and all of that. Um, I think there will be some, I don't think it's going to be the full thing that, the, that they wanted in terms of full highlights um, usage rights and, and all of that. But I, I think there's going to be some associated with it. And that's kind of what they were fine tuning. But again, barring some dramatic change of events at the 11th hour, uh, we're going to have NHL players in the Olympics. And it's good from that perspective. It's good from the league perspective. They don't have to change their scheduling and go through all of that, even though they, they had a, a schedule in place in the event that the guys weren't going to go. But all indications are that they're going and we could see something, or at least from an announcement perspective, by the end of the week, um, if not likely next week. But all indications point to that happening, um, again, unless something ridiculously dramatic happens. Yes, yeah. and uh, that sound you hear is every single person like myself that is involved in sports talk content uh, laughing and going, yes, we've got six months of talking about <laughs> who's on Team Canada yeah. for the Olympics. Um, there's a lot going on in the NHL. I have to ask you. Where were you on Saturday? What were you doing? And what was your reaction when you got the notice that the Canes had signed Jesperi Kotkaniemi to the offer sheet? And then what was your reaction when you pulled up the Canes Twitter account and saw maybe the most epic trolling in the history of pro sports? I can't remember anything even close, to be honest. Yeah, no, it was freaking amazing. I mean, absolutely <laughs> top-notch outstanding job by the social media staff and everybody that was associated with that. The quote taking Mark Bergevin's exact quote uh, of, of them signing Aho a couple of years ago and fine tuning it just a, just a little bit uh, for Kakanyemi. All of it was, was absolutely amazing. Um, Their profile's was, in French right now. I know it's, it was great <laughs> that the profile, they even put out a tweet, uh, a little press tweet that that was in French announcing the signing and everything. So it's, it's been, it's been phenomenal um, from an entertainment and optics perspective. It's 10 out of 10. Uh, but look, this was something Carolina had been looking for a second line center for a while. And I think their pro check Vincent Trocek who kind of supplemented that role for a little bit. I think they prefer him on the wing 
So that's why they've been looking for a center for most of the offseason. They had interest in Kakanyemi before. They obviously had interest in him going in to last week before they made the the offer. And obviously there was nothing there from a Canadian's perspective, from a trade perspective. So Carolina said, all right, the heck with it. Why don't we just do it? And by Carolina, I mean Tom Dundon, the owner, was the one that put the final stamp of approval and said, just, just offer cheat him. Just forget it. Who cares? We can't get him. We'll go this route. And so, I mean, it wasn't predetermined that they were going to get revenge on the Habs from an offer sheet perspective right away. But, you know, knowing that the trade talks didn't really progress, Tom was basically like, all right, let's just do this and let's see how much fun we can have with it. And look, he is a, um, an interesting individual, uh, you know, people, some people have great things to say about him. Some people have really bad things to say about him, uh, but he does things his way. And, this was something that the Carolina Hurricanes wanted. He was cool with it. And uh, it sounds like if the Canadians don't match, I believe there's there's been uh, an unofficial agreement on a longer-term deal between the Canes and Kakanyemi's camp. Um, I don't know the full specifics of it. I believe you can't – they won't be able to sign it until January at the earliest anyway. Yeah. Uh, but there's some predetermined notion that this would be beyond one year – and not at 6.1 million for the following years. So they've done a lot of homework. They did the due diligence. They were able to speak to the, to obviously his camp. They're allowed to do it. Um, so right now it falls on the Canadians and what they're doing right now is exploring all of their options to see if they can fill that void at center, um, whether they're using the first and the third round pick as compensation, if they let Kakanyemi walk or not, they're, ch- they're, they're exploring all avenues at the moment and had been going into into the weekend because they had a, an inkling that this was probably going to be the case. Um, so they're, they're trying to figure out what their options are. They have until Saturday to do it. Uh, Dave, I mean, I know you spent a lot of time in Montreal, have a lot of great contacts there. I mean, what are the people close to the Habs saying about, I mean, did this take them by surprise? I mean, what's the feeling in and around Mark Vergevin and the Habs front office in the aftermath of what happened with Kakaniemi? I mean, look, obviously they knew there was interest because they had the trade talks. I think the threat of an offer sheet was was made after these these talks really didn't get anywhere. I don't think the Canadians thought that it was going to be six point one million at one year. I guarantee you they didn't uh, think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody did. Um, but uh, so I think that that kind of took them aback quite a bit. But. Again, this was going into the weekend. They were already out there exploring what their options were. This is what they did at the beginning of the offseason to see what the center market was in the NHL. They calmed that down, and obviously they had to re-engage last week when they figured that Carolina was going to do something a little bit drastic here. Again, they didn't expect it was going to be as high as it was from a dollar perspective. And all the qualifying offer talk and the, the stuff for the second year, I mean – that, that's not a, a major concern for either club. Uh, obviously, Carolina, as I mentioned, they, they think they can get him on a long-term deal. Montreal side, if they match, I don't think they're overly concerned with what, respect to what the qualifying offer will be because I think they will figure out, you know, that uh, a deal of some sort. But they were they went into the weekend doing their due diligence, and then boom, Friday the offer sheet comes Kakanyemi's way. He signs it. They make it official on on Saturday. So. Is this ideal for the Habs? No, uh, no question, but it kind of pushes them to to get off their seat a little bit and make some kind of adjustment if they have to. And it's great for us because we get to talk about it for a well, week. Absolutely. And you know what fascinates me uh, about this entire thing, Dave, is that 
Let's say Montreal for a minute, they hold their nose and they sign the deal, as you mentioned, and try to work out something long-term after January. No. We all know that the fan base in Montreal is unique. They're incredibly passionate. This team is a religion in the province of Quebec. If Kokanemi is matched and he's back with the Habs this year, how do you think the fans and the, the, the fan base of the Montreal Canadiens reacts to that? Because in a lot of ways... He is somewhat of an accomplice in this, in in really sticking it to the Montreal. <laughs> yeah, indirectly. Um, look, if, if, if somebody's going to overpay you, you're probably going to think long and hard about accepting it. Um, it doesn't work all the time. Um, there are other players out there that have had com- restricted free agents over the last few years that had had conversations with other teams about the potential of an offer sheet, what the dollars would look like and all that. Um, really didn't get that to that point other than Ajo. I guess Braden Point was presented an offer as well for Montreal, but he declined it um, a couple of years ago before Montreal went to Ajo. Um, and there are other restricted free agents that have had even ones that are out there right now that are still unsigned where other teams have talked to their agents and said, well, what are you looking at? Would you consider it? Uh, obviously, we're now at a point where Kakanyemi was like, yeah, OK, I'll take the six mil. Um, I don't think from an in the room perspective, I don't think there's going to be any animosity. I think from a, a fan perspective, it's really going to come down to how he performs. If, if the Canadians believe that he is a 50 to 70 and it's a, a wide range, but a 50 to 70 point guy as a second line center in the NHL for this team, he's only 21. If they believe he can get to that point where his peak is the 60, 70 point range for let's say three to four years, maybe five consistently, then they're probably going to match that. And then it's going to come down to his production. Is he going to get to that point? And is he going to produce? And if he does, then the fan base will say, all right, cool. He's got us some winners. He's getting 50 points this year. We believe in him. We'll, we'll put that behind us. If he goes out and plays the way he played two seasons ago, then it's going to be tough on him for the rest of the season. Montreal fans are ruthless in both languages and uh, you don't want to get on their bad side. So really this is going to come down to whether the Canadians believe that Kakanyemi is the player they think he is going to be and can be. If they don't, I mean, that's all the more incentive to take the first and third and look at your options elsewhere. Uh, Dave Pagnon of the fourth period with us here on Winnipeg sports talk daily. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the Habs wanting a center even before this happened with Kakanyemi. Jack Eichel, of course, at the top of the list. Some interesting developments in the Eichel saga. Uh, a new agent in Pratt Person, one of the most respected agents in all of hockey. What do you make of that move, Dave? And uh, where are things at right now in this standoff between Eichel, the Sabres, and of course the surgery that still needs to happen before he can play again? Right, exactly. That, and that's that's a big key is whichever surgery he's going to have, and he's still fighting for his the the artificial disc replacement surgery. He's not going to be ready for the start of the season. So I don't think that's going to affect um, the trade negotiations entirely. I think everybody knows that you're getting Jack Eichel for five years, not for, you know, four and a little bit, because uh, he's got five years left in his deal. Um, uh, look, the, the move, the week before this move was made official, everybody sat down and his agents at the time sat down with the Sabres in the league to figure out just to, to put everybody on an even playing field and to see if there was going to be some kind of solution. It was almost like mediation. Um, obviously, it didn't work. At least it didn't work in favor 
of, of, of Jack. So he makes the change. Um, look, Pat and the guys at CAA are, are some of the best in the biz, obviously. And they're going to be able to help, I believe, facilitate a move at some point soon here. I, I think you're probably looking at something in and around the start of camp. So probably three, maybe four weeks from now, you, similar to what we saw with Ottawa and Eric Carlson a few years ago. It took, I think it was the night before camp got underway that they pulled the trigger and moved him to San Jose. I think we're going to see a similar situation play out here with the Buffalo Sabres and Jack Eichel. Um, and I think that's going to be because of the influence that Pat Brisson has throughout most of this league and, and what CAA has as well. So I think they'll help smooth things over, at least in terms of trying to get a deal done. But the Sabres have been adamant that unless someone's willing to pay that asking price, which is four assets, a first-round pick, and a collection of NHL-ready young players now slash prospects, they've been pretty adamant that unless that price is met, that they're just happy holding on to them until somebody pays up. And, and you know what? I, I can't blame Kevin Adams for that. I mean, no. you know, he's in a in a not a very envious position. I mean, their team sucks to begin with. They are coming <laughs> out of an absolute twelve month dumpster fire period for the team over the last season, and then no. you have this problem with Jack Eichel. And you know, if you're Kevin Adams, I mean, I, there'll be depending on how long he has this job, there'll be a number of moves that he makes. But trading your franchise player with five years left on his contract will be the biggest of them all. And if yeah. you don't get what you need for Jack Eichel, um, a team that's already been set back significantly in the last 12 months is even further back. I don't think people expect much from the Sabres this year. So you know what? If Jack Eichel's not playing for it, probably just helps them get another high draft pick. But the bottom line is when he is dealt, assuming that he is, if they don't get what they're asking for, I'm not sure that it's worth doing. Right. Well, exactly. And then that's their stance. That's their position. Now, from a prospect perspective, I mean, you know, you're going to take a chance. You believe these guys are going to be good if they don't. Well, it, I mean, it is what it is, but that's the price. And they've got, you know, they know Owen Power is going to be in Michigan this season. They still have Rasmus Dahlin, Casey Middlestad and, and uh, Henry Yukaharu, who they have to sign. Uh, they're restricted free agents. And, and they've been going back and forth lately with those guys. Middlestats camp spoke to the Sabres yesterday, still not close yet, um, but they still have to, they have other business to deal with, not just Jack Eichel. So they're trying to maneuver everything, um, but they've been firm. And unless a team's willing to pay that price, they're going to wait it out. And, and look, the Sabres want to deal him at this stage. The owners want him out. He wants to leave, but at the same time, it's got to be the right price. And that's where Pat Brisson comes in. And I think he's going to help smooth things over a little bit from a, a negotiate trade negotiation perspective to help this this move along. Um, you know, he's been on the job for about a week. Uh, he's got, I think, three more three more weeks to to go before we get to camp. Um, like I said, I think that's the target. They'd like to be able to get this done and not have the distractions at camp uh, in in Buffalo. But again, it's going to come down to who's going to pay that price. Is it Anaheim? Is it you know, Calgary, are, are we going to get Columbus stepping up? Um, uh, are the Rangers going to up the ante a little bit more? Is Montreal going to be able to pull something off? I, I know that Buffalo wants to send him out west and get him as far away from Buffalo as he can. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who can pay the best price. And that's what we're all waiting on. Uh, Dave Pagnotta of the fourth period is with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. 
Uh, interesting contract last week with Svetch uh, in Carolina, getting eight years at just south of $8 million per season. Still a lot of very good players that are RFAs that don't have contracts, in particular Hughes and Pedersen in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, are you hearing any progress in any of these centers right now? And how many guys do you think won't be with their team when we get into camp, potentially the beginning of the season? I think I think most will. Um, you know, there's there's... The, the urgency with Vancouver is more so on, on Elias Pettersson than it is Quinn Hughes because Hughes is not at risk of an offer sheet. Neither is Kaprizov in, in Minnesota. And by the way, I think that's getting close. If we're if anything is getting close, I'm led to believe that Minnesota and Kaprizov are inching closer um, to, to getting a deal done. I think Vancouver with Pettersson and Hughes, who are also represented by Pat Brazil. I think those are starting to progress a little bit positively, um, but they're more likely on short-term deals. I'm not sure exactly where Kaprizov may end up, likely four or five plus years. Um, I think we're going to see less with those guys. I think Brady Kachuk and Ottawa are trying to work out a longer-term deal, six, seven, eight years. It sounds like that's slowly getting there as well, but I think a lot of these talks will pick up once we get into the thick of uh, of September, which is effectively next week after Labor Day, uh, before camp. So I think these are going to start to really play a factor uh, for them. I know Edmonton and Yamamoto not close at this stage either, um, but I think with the urgency of, of getting closer to camp, we're going to start to see these these starting to to pick up across the board. And, I, and from an offer sheet perspective, by the way, I haven't heard that anybody else is really at risk at this stage. Yeah, well, considering what just happened with Carolina, I don't know. We didn't see many of the offer sheets to begin with, and I have a feeling that we probably won't be for a while considering the uh, comeuppance that came to Mark Bergman, who was the last one to sign a significant one in the NHL. Hey, before we go, i got to ask you about the Evander Kane situation in San Jose. I mean, files for bankruptcy, uh, teammates hate him, uh, getting divorced, accused of betting on N- NHL games. There's the abortion lawsuit as well. I mean, it's a long, long list of trouble for Evander Kane. Um, but he's had a career season last year. Um, and yet, from all accounts, the San Jose Sharks, or at least the guys in that room, don't want him back. What is the latest on Evander Kane, and how does this play out with training camp just a few weeks away? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, the NHL is still investigating everything uh, and the Sharks are, are complying and, and they can't really say anything until the investigation's wrapped. Um, it's a tricky situation. Uh, I, I know that for a fact, yeah, there's there's a good chunk of that room that would rather Evander Kane be on a different team. Um, one thing that I have to point out is that he has been involved in the NHL's program, substance abuse program and, and, and rehab. Um, Throughout the season, he's been having regular discussions. That was something that I think is missed in all of this. I don't even know, quite frankly, if it's really been truly reported, but he's been part of the NHL's program this past season. And it seems like in the offseason, he kind of uh, stopped doing that. So I don't know exactly where that stands at this stage, um, especially based on some of the accusations he was in Europe and all that stuff. So it certainly sounds like he hasn't been keeping that up since the season has wrapped. Uh, But I do know that there are players on the team that not only don't want him out, but they have made their voices clear and loud to management that something needs to be done about that situation. And they haven't gotten to that point yet. Uh, as I said, I do know he's been part of the NHL's program, um, but 
obviously there still needs to be more uh, out of this. I'm not sure how this really ends at this stage, to be honest with you. Uh, and not now anyway, uh, I think the investigation will really determine what route the sharks end up going. If, if it is true. And I, I, I haven't heard that he's bet on a sharks game, let alone any hockey game. Um, but definitely other sports doesn't really matter from this point. But if he, if there's any indication that he's been on anything hockey related, then that's a different story and it's grounds for some serious uh, uh, repercussions from not only the Sharks, but the NHL as well. So we'll see. I think that in the next week or two, we'll hear a little bit more from a league side of things as they try to wrap this investigation as quick as they can. Yeah, I I mean, from a Sharks perspective, um, if there's not something that comes down from the league and they make the decision that, okay, well, you know, we've heard the players loud and clear. We know he's a good player, but it's just too detrimental to the team. We want him out. I mean, he is so radioactive right now, Dave. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine there'd be a taker in the National Hockey League. And at that point, you wonder, or I mean, right now, I'm wondering, what is Evander Kane's future in the National Hockey League right now, regardless of the results of the investigation? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, you know, he's got a three-team trade list. Uh, I believe uh, Winnipeg and Tampa are on his trade list. And obviously, he's not going to either one. Um, so he strategically did that. Buffalo was on it at one point. I think Dallas might have been as well. So anyway, he strategically put it so that he wasn't going to get dealt. Um, and I know there was some conversations with Seattle ahead of the expansion draft. Obviously, didn't get anywhere. And then after that, all this stuff kind of comes out. So you're right. It, it's it, His reputation right now is certainly tainted beyond what it may have already been. Um, so it's going to be a tough one. If, if it comes out that the league finds that he's um, you know, innocent of these accusations in terms of betting on his own games and his own sport, then there really isn't much the Sharks can do just from that perspective. I mean, they, they can't suspend him. If they do, it's a whole hoopla of a situation that's going to come into play. A bunch of lawyers, the NHLPA, all of that's going to get involved. Um, and, and I don't think they have enough grounds to get to that point. Uh, but again, we'll see what transpires here over the next little bit. They could just sit him out if they really wanted to and say, sorry, we, you're not a fit in this room and, and we're going to keep paying you. We're not suspending you. But we're just not going to play you. That's going to be another scenario that the NHLPA can make a, a grievance about. Um, but given the circumstances, I, I think it's still too early to, to really speculate on what the outcome is going to be. Um, I think once we get a clearer indication of not just the investigation, but also Perhaps we, we hear some more court documents that, that come out or court proceedings that become uh, become public as this drags out from an off-the-ice perspective. That could also play some factors here in what his future is, not just with the Sharks, but in the NHL. No doubt. Dave, this has been a great chat. Um, fill us in. Uh, what do you and the boys have coming up over the next few weeks before training camp heading into the NHL season over at the fourth period? Yeah, well, September's here, like you said. So we're going to be uh, piecing together some season previews and everything uh, going into the season. Myself, Dennis Bernstein, Irfan Gaffar, Aaron Ward, and others uh, as well. So we're going to start getting into that mode as camps get going and uh, wave goodbye to summer. It's been a short one. Hey, hey, pal, this is an <laughs> awesome chat. Thanks so much for doing this and uh, look forward to catching up again real soon as we get closer to dropping the puck. Yes, sir. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. <laughs> There he is, Dave Pagnotta from the fourth period. You can follow the fourth period on Twitter. Check out the site, fourthperiod.com. And of course, give Dave a follow as well on Twitter. All right, we are going to switch from the pucks to the pigskin. Mocon in Montreal coming up in just a sec. Before we do that, a big shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp. I was over at Not today 
Waverly and McGilvery. Trevor had mentioned that they're making some big, big additions to what was already an incredible place of business. I saw a Plinko machine today. I saw a Papa Shot machine today and an absolutely incredible spot to kick back and uh, wait maybe while your car is serviced or speak with the experts about some of the amazing vehicles on the lot. If you haven't checked it out before and you're in the market for a vehicle, do yourself a favor and head on down to Knott in person at Waverly and McGilvery and see for yourself. Or, of course, you can always see what's going on at Knott Autocorp online at knott.ca. Uh, the Car Lab is getting ready to open as well. A great new addition to the Knot Compound. Uh, the amazing service team, which took care of my whip earlier today, uh, not to mention the detailing crew. It's all there at Knot Autocorp. Knot.ca. Why not get into the car of your dreams with the help of the Knot team? Go down and see them at Waverly and McGilvery. Um, of course, it is Burger Week, folks. Burger Week officially begins today. And our friends at Boston Pizza have three beauties for you ready. The Seasburger, which is the ultimate kitchen and bar collab. The uh, Boston Pizza's signature Caesar cocktail meets a burger is available at BP Keniston. BP Taylor has the Jalapeno Mac and Cheeseburger, which looks absolutely amazing. And BP Henderson is rocking the Bourbon Barbecue Bacon Burger. So, with Burger Week expanding to basically two weeks, you got plenty of time to try all three at BP Henderson, BP Taylor, and BP Keniston as a part of Burger Week. And of course, the summer here's menu is still there. All those great summer cocktails ready for you on the patio or in the lounge at your local Boston Pizza. And uh, one more day of live racing this week over at Assiniboia Downs. Uh, did get back in the win column last night. Wasn't a big one, but that uh, certainly was better than my last couple nights out. Remo and I will have picks at the end of the night. And I should give a, a shout out to, uh, I believe it was Kirk, who went five for five last night in the first races. So uh, trust me, don't take my picks or Remus's picks. Uh, but you'll want to tune in to ASD Live around 6.30, 6.45 before every night of live racing and get the real experts to uh, give you a little bit of help. That's Kirk and Stretch. You can check them out on YouTube or right there live at the track if you're heading down there. 7.30 parade to post tonight at Assiniboia Downs. Terrace dining room open, but you do need reservations. And the VLTs are back open from 9 a.m. to 12.15 uh, daily. All right. Let's get to some football talk. It's been a little while since we've uh, chatted with my guy in Montreal, Mo Khan, but with the Labor Day weekend and the CFL coming up and NFL kickoff next week, we thought this was a time we needed to get Mo back on the show, and he is back now. Mo, how's the summer been, man? Great to talk to you again. It's been well, Andrew. I saw you had Joey Alfieri on earlier in the week, who is the Marty Gennetti to my Shawn Michaels at TSN Radio, to let you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Are you going to put him through the barbershop window at any point uh, coming there, up there on the weekend? There is plans. <laughs> we, I, I believe the anniversary comes in January, so there's plans for the storyline to split for the new year going towards WrestleMania next uh, spring. <laughs> hey, listen, just before we get to football, I mean, you brought up Joey. We were mainly talking Habs. I mean, uh, yeah. what was your reaction to Saturday and the news and the way the Carolina Hurricanes signed Jesperi Kotkaniemi? We'll be talking about this one for a long time, regardless of what happens before Saturday. It was well done by Carolina and by Tom Dundon and, and Don Waddell and, and Rod Brindamore. And, and look, when you think about it right now, Andrew, with Jesperi's career so far, it, it's stagnated. I mean, for him to get benched for the last game against Tampa in the Cup Final, he's had an up-and-down career. 
even on radio when I was on earlier in the week, I said th- there was a little bit of cracks if you go back before COVID-19 hit when he got demoted to Laval, and he made a little uh, snark remark towards Claude Julien at the time, saying, I'm having more fun down Laval than I was with the Canadians. So there's been some sort of, not disconnect of deep issue here, but there's been that crack here and there with Jesperi and this organization. And we'll find out in the coming few days here whether or not he will be a Hurricane or back as the second highest paid forward on the Montreal Canadiens. If he comes back, how do you think the fans welcome him back? I mean, he was somewhat of an accomplice in all of this going down. I mean, he had to sign the offer sheet. I don't blame him for doing it, but I'm not sure how um, reasonable Montreal Canadiens fans will be if he does, in fact, come back to the Habs. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of um, disappointment because if you hear our airwaves this week, people are, are 50-50, let him go, he's not worth it, keep him, he's he's worth it. You know, he's only 21, going on 22 in the fall, and he can definitely uh, become a bona fide number two C for this team. But I think, look, Andrew, when you look at this team right now, Nick Suzuki is going to be your one C going to training camp. If Jesperi goes to Carolina, there's a big hole at two for the second-line center. Your third line, fourth line, Jake Evans, uh, you know, whoever else might come up through the system will be there. But that's a big loss because you, you lost Phil Deneau to the Kings in the offseason. And for Mark Bergeron, he might be armed with the artillery to go out there to maybe acquire a Dvorak or Sean Monahan from Calgary that can come fill that hole. But teams will know. The Canadians will be desperate if they're in the market for a 2C that they might have to overpay to get that guy. That could replace Jesperi if he does go to Carolina. All right, Mo. Uh, I had to ask you about that because I'm sure that's still a huge topic right now in 690 all through the week. But let's get to the CFL. Where are all the points so far this season? What do you make of all these unders that are cashing every week? It's been all defense. I'm not surprised. You know, I was on Ga- Gab Morency earlier in the week and we talked about it. And I'm not surprised because, Andrew, we're talking about guys who haven't played CFL or have not played football in almost 24 months. And I thought this would be a sluggish start to the year for the points fourth for the excitement. We've seen some good games, right? Calgary-Montreal being one of them. Uh, the Edmonton-Ottawa game back in week one coming down to the last play was another. But quite frankly, you're right. It has not been fantastic football. It's not been seductive football to enjoy um, this season. I think we'll see better play after Labor Day weekend going towards the end of September where I think the points will go up and I think the bay lines will be in fear for those who are going for the over than the under. All right. Uh, well, what do you make of the Owls? Um, you know, I think we all expected more from Hamilton after the first couple of games. We knew they were staring 0-3 in the face. I wasn't surprised that they won the game. I was surprised, though, that Montreal didn't look better and it wasn't really close at all. I mean, uh, the Owls do have Ottawa, which um, is maybe the, well, is the most advantageous matchup going into uh, kickoff the Labor Day weekend. But um, where's Montreal right now? Montreal is a bit of a... They're in, they're in no man's land right now, to use that term, Andrew. I, I did stats for TSN TV in the booth last Friday, and they ran 60 plays uh, against the Ticats at, at Molson Stadium. 15 of those plays went for no gain or yards lost. So that means one out of every four plays was for nothing. You're not going to win a football game if that happens. I'll give you a little history here, Andrew. Vernon Adams, we go back to that big game against Winnipeg in 2019 when Montreal came back down 45 million points, ended up winning by three over the Bombers. Since that game to present has not been good. He's become more of a game manager than a game breaker. Uh, He's not throwing for 300 yards in any game. He's only had one game of 20-plus completions, and that came against Calgary two weeks ago. Uh, His touchdown to INT ratio is 14 TDs to 10 INTs, and he's not connected with this receiving core that's full of wealth, whether it's Jake Wenicke, B.J. Cunningham, Geno Lewis, 
Uh, they have the talented receivers to cast the football move forward. And I just wonder now for Vernon Adams if the bug is out on him because, again, in year one in 2019, no one really knew how to play him. But now we're seeing those adjustments made by the opponents so far. And I wonder, again, has he become more of a game manager than a game breaker? And it would be critical for him to have a strong game against Ottawa before the Labor Day weekend. What do you make of this matchup between the Bombers and Riders? I mean, people are fired up all across the prairies for it. I mean, it it doesn't often happen where these two teams play for first place at this time of the season. Now, of course, it's a little earlier this year, but the Riders are undefeated. The Bombers are at three and one Um, is certainly, I think, by any measure is the game of the week. And uh, what a way to kick off the home and home between these two great rivals. I love it because I always said Labor Day should be the weekend when the rivals play each other for the first time, right? Sask, Bombers, Stamps, Edmonton, so on and so forth, Toronto, Hamilton included. This is huge because we're talking about the two best teams in the West going at it. And whoever can get the four points in the next two games will have the pole position going towards the final half of the year. Because, Andrew, when you think about it right now, we're going to be almost at the halfway point by mid-September. And we'll know, we'll have a better idea who will be in the one and two slots for the West Division. And I think when you look at Winnipeg right now, and the key for them will be the running game. You know, you get back Andrew Harris. I watched a bit of the game uh, on Sunday against Calgary. You get back Andrew Harris, Oliveira, these guys, they have the depth now to work with at the running back position. If they can establish the running game early against Sask, I think it can go a long way in why they could sap out the crowd in, 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 in Regina on Sunday and potentially come away with W. I think for Michael Shea as well, is going to be special teams. And he won up Greg Dickinson, who is also uh, a savant for the special teams in that category. So I think the run game will be very imperative for the Bombers if they're going to come up with a W on the weekend. Hey, I just got to quickly ask you about one particular play in that Calgary game. Yeah. Um, the balls on Dave Dickinson to throw a 40-yard bomb from his <laughs> own 23 on third down in a 6-6 game with a rookie quarterback playing his sixth quarter of Canadian football. Um, I mean, it was a um, ridiculous play. Ended up being stripped, and Big Hill took it back the other way. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, my jaw was on the floor just with the play call, and it does show that even early in his career, Dickinson has some confidence in Jake Mayer. He does. And look at the factory for Calgary, Andrew. When you think about it, we go back 20 years, okay? So we talk about Flutie, Garcia, Hank Burris. We can go through the list of guys that have won, Marcus Grandel included. They are in a position, Calgary, of wealth, where even though Bo Levi's out for who knows how long, and even though Michael O'Connor kind of got the, the job, uh, the screw job done on him not to play against Montreal two weeks ago, Mayer's showing the confidence in that he can be that guy that can play a small gap of games and keep this team afloat until Bo Levi comes back. And not only that, though, right, the history of the Stampede history, uh, organization is to develop quarterbacks and trade them down the road. Mayer could be a guy down the road that might get uh, a look or two from a CFL team or maybe an NFL team down the road. So this is a win-win for him. I think he's showing, he's demonstrated to the CFL masses that he can definitely play at this level. It's more repetitions and being comfortable in the system that might help Calgary become more of a playoff team than where they are right now. Mo Khan with us from Montreal here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. You can check him out at MoCon19 on Twitter. Make sure you're following him. Uh, one more on the CFL before we get to the NFL. Um, you know, a pretty wild release by the Edmonton Elks yesterday. A Canadian starting left guard for violating the COVID protocols and apparently misrepresenting misrepresenting his vaccination status. Um, I imagine this is probably 
uh, being talked about quite seriously amongst all front offices uh, as this becomes a bigger and bigger issue by the day. Uh, and by the time we get to the presumed travel ban for unvaccinated people uh, on those charter flights, um, you know, I think this is going to come to a head if it hasn't already like it has in Edmonton, Mo. Yeah, I, I thought Jacob Ruby was playing for Bishop Sycamore, right, to, to kind of lie his <laughs> way through, right, to get, to get himself ready for the season. But it's unfortunate because Jacob Ruby's a good Canadian O-lineman. That is great depth for Edmonton. And you lose him, it's a bad stain because it also brings the, the question for Randy Ambrosi. How are the Elks going about with their business to not even know that, hey, he wasn't vaxxed and he's coming up with falsified papers to say he is? It's a bad look from team and from player. And I think now for the CFL, for Randy Ambrose, we're, we're going into a period now, Andrew, where schools are starting up across Canada. So the numbers, we hope now, will go up. We expect. we got to be much more vigilant and careful, especially for the CFL, because he can't be in that position, as it was with the Elks not being able to play football for a week, that there's no wiggle room now, right? You have to get these games in in a sufficient time here so we avoid having these lockdowns or, or shutdowns of these teams that can't practice or play for the week. So this is a bad look for the CFL, I agree. But look, for them now, it's a lesson learned for the CFL to make sure that all the teams and the PA are on the same page when it comes to the COVID protocols being applied from BC to Montreal. Is there If we get to the point in a few weeks where non-vaccinated players cannot travel to games, is there going to be a bunch of guys that are essentially released? Are we going to be seeing like a, a, a restocking of players across the league because the anti-vaxxers are out? Yeah, I think so. I uh, really look, look at the NFL, right? Urban Myers said yesterday that when he got down to his 53, that was a consideration. Like, can you be available? Your, your best ability is your, is your availability, right? If you can't be available because you came down with COVID-19 and you're unvaxxed, you become uh, obsolete to their organization. And let's not forget, Andrew, we have a whole bunch of NFL cutdowns, and we see guys down south that come up to Canada for the October run. And I would expect that we are going to see CFL teams investigate with these potential uh, signings. Hey, are you vaxxed? Are you healthy? Great. You're going to come up and replace John Smith on our roster right now. So I do expect to see some transformation of, of teams being able to go get an NFL roster cut guy and bring him on board. Because at the end of the day, regardless of where you stand, whether you're pro or anti-vax, the CFL and all pro leagues are trying to squeeze out the anti-vaxxers to make sure that they don't see this curtail anyone's seasons because it would ruin what we're trying to rebuild as we once had before COVID-19. Well, exactly. And I mean, listen, as, as you know, good as some of these players are, I mean, if you are in a situation where you're not double vaxxed right now, in some ways you're a liability to your football team. Absolutely. And that gets cranked up another couple notches if all of a sudden you can't play road games and teams have to make a decision. So it's fascinating. And I should mention, Remus and I talked about it earlier today, um, the CFL's banned teams from signing um, Ruby out of Edmonton. So, yeah. I mean, in some ways, he's got a year suspension for what he did right now, and you wonder what that means. But it's a pretty strong statement from the league, and one I think the majority of fans would agree that, you know, needed to be made. All right, Mo, uh, we're just over a week away from the National Football League season. And speaking of the vaccine, not to get too much into it, but I talked about this last week on the program when Cam Newton went on that list and allowed Mac Jones another five days of Team 1 reps and more time in the playoff games. He was essentially opening the door to allowing him to be Wally Pipped. And that's exactly what happened. 
Mac Jones, the number one quarterback now for the New England Patriots. He'll start week one, and Cam is out on the street. Um, were you surprised that this happened? And uh, what do you make of this situation with the former Alabama Crimson Tide QB now being the successor to Tom Brady after a one-year sojourn with Cam? Yeah, no, I think Mac was eventually going to start at some point, uh, Andrew. I think we all knew that. It's a question of not if, but when. I just think that you're right, that five-day ordeal for Cam to not be in Cam because of COVID-19 protocols uh, definitely stunted his opportunity to become the starting quarterback for the Patriots because you think about it right now, who they signed, right? Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, guys that played a tight end position that, that Cam worked really well with in Carolina in that system four or five years ago when he won the MVP. I said, okay, you know what? He's got weapons to work with, whereas last year he had nothing to work with. He had COVID-19. Uh, there was no OTAs. He's coming off an awful injury uh, season in 2019. And I thought, okay, cool. He comes back for 2020. He does his thing. He might get himself a big deal elsewhere and move on. I just think now for, for Bill Belichick, and he will not say that that's the reason why, but Teddy Bruschi said it on, on Get Up this morning on ESPN. He said, look, he won't say it, but definitely factor into the, into the decision-making because think about it. If Cam is unvaxxed, which according to reports, he isn't uh, vaxxed, if he's in the room with Mac Jones, who is vaxxed, and guess what? Cam gets COVID-19. Well, those quarterbacks can't be there for five days. So think about it, right? You, you're down two quarterbacks. So you have to, again, it goes back to what we said about the CFL with Jacob Ruby. You have to make sure that these guys are following protocols or they know the risk because it can cost them a game check or maybe a game or even the season because you knocked out five, 10, 20 guys that you might have come in close contact with. So Belichick did what's best for the organization. And look, we have now, we now have a fascinating division of Mac Jones, Josh Allen, Tutaga Valoa, and uh, Zach Wilson included. That's going to be a fun division to watch these young quarterbacks develop or flame out that they could in two, three years from now. Yeah, well, let's talk about the uh, the, the class of 2021, if you will. Um, Trevor Lawrence is in Jacksonville. He'll start week one. Zach Wilson starting week one in New York. Mac Jones is now the starter. Justin Fields won't start week one, but I think we all agree that he'll probably get a starting job at some point, probably at least in the first half of the season. A little less clear as to Trey Lance's situation, but knowing Kyle Shanahan and what they paid to get him, I'd be shocked if he didn't get in long-term for the season. I mean, if we were talking offensive rookie of the year, who would uh, who would get your nickel on this group? Who are you highest for this season amongst the rookie quarterbacks coming in? Uh, I, look, Trevor Lawrence is coming off shoulder surgery back in February. Uh, I think they're going to be a run-heavy team with James Robinson uh, because that O-line is not that good in Jacksonville. The, the tackle plays awful with Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor trying to find himself in that system. I think when you look at Zach Wilson, same thing. They loaded up on that left side. They, they got Makai Becton, Andrew. That's the size of you, Remus, and I together for his <laughs> leg. And you got Elijah Vera Tucker, who they drafted from USC that they traded up for at 14. So that left side is fortified. I think they will run the ball as well in, in Jetland until Zach Wilson's comfortable in Michael Floor's system. Now, we look at the other quarterbacks in play, whether it's Justin Fields or Mac Jones. I think right now Mac Jones is set up to succeed because he's in a better situation from a coaching staff perspective, from an organizational uh, perspective, and so also from a divisional perspective. Because besides Buffalo, Miami's got their question marks. The Jets are not going to be as strong as we anticipate them to be, maybe not now in two or three years from now. But Mac Jones has all the tools in place to not put up you know, Mahomes' numbers here, 
But if he can get off 20 to 25 touchdowns at five INTs, I deem that as being a successful year for Mac Jones and for that quarterback class that he was drafted from. Well, you know, it was funny. I was on with Dustin Nielsen earlier today doing the lock shop, and we were looking at some NFL futures, and we were talking about the offensive rookie of the year. And last week, Mac Jones was more than 10 to 1. Um, to be that guy. The minute he was announced the starting quarterback, he shot to the favorite as plus 250. Um, so people have taken notice, and I think the expectations, because it's the Patriots, because Bill Belichick's the coach, um, the expectations are much higher than maybe many of the others. And you nailed it. I mean, that AFC East, I mean, I think the Bills certainly are the team to beat based on what they did last year. Uh, I think the Dolphins have a great roster top to bottom. There just is a question as to whether Tua is going to be able to be that top flight NFL quarterback that you really need to go up against teams like the Bills and the Patriots. And I think the Jets are somewhat of a work in progress, but I like their coach. And, you know, if Zach Wilson is the guy they thought they were getting when they picked him at number two, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting. But to me, the division, there's a couple divisions that are fascinating. Let's talk about the one probably top to bottom, the deepest in the NFL. And that is the NFC West. The Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Rams, and of course the San Francisco 49ers are in. The Niners were 6-10 and 10 last year, but many books have them as the favorite right now. And I'll be honest, we were doing win totals for the show yesterday, and I wasn't really that high on the Niners. I hadn't been. And then I looked at their schedule, kind of forgetting the fact that they get a fourth-place schedule. Right. Um, I have a hard time like going down that list and thinking how they don't win 11 games. Uh, but I'm not sure that 11 games is enough to win that division. Um, who do you like to win the NFC West? And um, maybe give us your thoughts on those four. Well, you just listed the Niners is the team I'm watching out for. I think they had the least amount of questions. I know people talking about quarterback with Trey Lance and, and Jimmy G and who will be the week one guy. At least they have two. They have two. Well, if you have two, that means you don't have one, right? That's the old <laughs> adage. But the thing when I look at the Niners right now, Andrew, is this. They got the defense back. Nick Bosa hopefully is healthy again. Fred Warner was a monster last year as a linebacker. That front four will be much more healthier. And I look at that as being the reason why they will be a difference maker and why the Niners could win 10, 11, or maybe 12 games in that division. When you look on the flip side of the offense, remember how many injuries they had from the running back position. They're healthier now. You wonder for Trey Sermon, the rookie from Ohio State via Oklahoma, if he'll be a bigger factor. I think Jimmy G's got pass catch to work with. Brandon Ayuk had one of the better yards after catch for rookies from last year's draft class. Uh, that, and that includes Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, and so on and so forth here. So Ayuk could definitely take that next step up. And the key reason why I love the Niners in this division is the tackle play. Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey, right? Two excellent left and right tackle players that can give Jimmy G or maybe Trey Lance that time required to find that guy down the field here. And look, there is pressure on Shanahan and Lynch because of how much they invested towards Trey Lance. But look, in the four years that they've been together, they've had one winning season. So this is a big year for the Niners because that that window will reset with Trey Lance to continue being a perennial contender in that division than being a one-and-done as it was two years ago. When do you think Lance finally starts? Uh, you know, we looked at it last week, and I'm, I was thinking about it, and I, I thought if, if, if it goes the opposite direction where it goes off the rails, I think by week six or week seven, but the example that I gave on air was Eli Manning, Kurt Warner, 2004. If you remember, the Giants were above 500 at the midway point. I think they were five and four or five and three, whatever it was. And Coughlin decided to go with Eli the rest of the way. And of course, didn't make the playoffs, but he felt that was the right time. I think for Kyle Shanahan, what he's got to get answered by Jimmy G is can he make those franchise throws that he couldn't do 
before he got hurt and even during that run against your Chiefs where he couldn't make that big throw to Emmanuel Sanders and lo and behold, Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So can he make those franchise throws that will keep him in the pivot role than being on the bench holding the clipboard and tracking down plays for Trey Lance? Yeah, I mean, I just think that with the price that they paid to get Lance, they are planning on getting him in there at some point. And, Agreed. You know, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup it would be a luxury for a lot of teams, but you get a guy in on a rookie contract and – um, yeah, I mean, I think that the Niners, I mean, I'm not, I don't believe that they're a Super Bowl team right now, although their defense is good enough that they could literally drag them to some wins maybe they don't even deserve. So we'll see. Another team, I love their defense, and I'm picking them to win the division, is the WFT, the Washington football mm. team. Um, is it a two-horse race between the Cowboys and Washington, do you think, or could the Giants or Philly make things interesting? No, Giants play. They're like they're like ECW or WCW. They're not going to get up to that level, right? Because they're they're both like the reason why. Look, there's a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones. The Gettleman loaded up on offense with yeah. draft picks, signing guys to come help out that offense. If Jones can't do it, he's done. And so is Gettleman. We know those two guys are are joined at the hip. What I look at for for Washington right now is that you have your defense set. That front four is monsters. Their secondary is underrated. They have the defense locked in. My question is this, Ryan Fitzpatrick, can we trust them? Because, look, they, they are much deeper at the receiving core with Samuel McLaurin. You've got a pretty good running back in Antonio Gibson and the kid from Buffalo who, who they have in the 53-man roster that could definitely put up some numbers. Can Ryan Fitzpatrick be normal, if that's the term to use, normal enough to win you a football game or two? Because with Dak in the fold for the Cowboys, Cowboys are the favorites to win that division because they can drop 40 points and give up 32 and still win by eight, and they'll be okay with it. If Dak isn't healthy, then Washington becomes my favorite. So that's why it's all dependent on Dak and where he is health-wise. And if he's good to go, I think the Cowboys are the favorites to win that division. Yeah, I mean, they certainly are the favorites right now. I sort of like Washington for the reason that, you know, the Cowboys, we, you know, we're fantasy players, right? We gush all over Zeke and Dak and CeeDee Lamb and Cooper and forget the fact that they routinely give up 30 points a game. And that's not an easy way. Not to mention they have Mike McCarthy, who... I mean, I don't know. I guess there'll be different opinions on it, but I think he's overmatched in most games, uh, regardless of who's on the other on the other sideline. So you put all that together, and now with Fitz coming in, I mean, he doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes. He needs to be a competent quarterback that doesn't turn the football over. Um, right. Because when you look at the rest of the pieces, both offensively with McLaurin and, and, and Gibson, and then on the defensive side of the football with those beasts led by Chase Young up front, Landon Collins in the back, um, you know, it, we don't spend enough time talking about defense, but it really does win games and contributes quite heavily to championships, uh, much like last year with what the Buccaneers did. Um, so I'm very high on uh, the WFT. I think they will be a playoff team. It'll be interesting to see whether there can be two playoff teams, even with the extra one coming out of the NFC East, or will it be like last year where it's somewhat of a snail's race and, you know, we're hmm. talking about the divisional games in the final three weeks of the season determining whoever makes it will be a massive underdog probably at home against a wild card team in week one. Well, of the I'll playoffs. say this, Andrew, right? Tyron Smith, the left tackle for the Cowboys. If he's healthy, that goes a long way because that O-line has not been healthy for two years. If you get back Leal Collins and Tyron Smith playing health or close enough to being healthy, I think it does make a difference for Zeke and for that offense as well. Hey, no surprise. I'm uh, very high on the Chiefs. I think uh, they'll come back with <laughs> a burn their bond, burn their saddle, if you will, and um, you know, be the top team in the AFC as uh, as well. But I'll say this, I'm very high on the Chargers. And, uh, you know, usually we speak about the Chargers in the preseason with 
sympathy because they've lost <laughs> one or two huge money players for the season. That hasn't happened yet this year. Uh, Bose is going to be back. Derwin James, maybe their most important player. A guy that I think could be right in the mix for the defensive player of the year if he plays 17 games is there. And of course, the sophomore quarterback, Justin Herbert. Um, are they clearly the number two team in that division for you? And do you think that the Chargers are a playoff team even with their rookie head coach? I think they are a strong wildcard team to make it in. Um, I love their O-line. I mean, you get Corey Lindsley from Green Bay to play the center position. He's a traffic cop. They get the kid Slater from Northwestern to come play on the left side of the the offensive line. That's where they're building this up now, Andrews, to build that O-line to give Herbert that time to find his guys. Right? You have Eckler. You got the kid Palmer. Uh, If Keenan Allen's healthy, that makes a big difference for them. Mike Williams as well. They got the pieces in place. I'll give you the stat, though. Under Anthony uh, Lynn, when he was that coach, I believe they were like I, I looked at the number of years ago. They were like nineteen and thirty-five in games decided by seven points or less. So you bring in Staley right to be the head coach. I think he makes a difference. You see it in how he's conveying the message with the media, with his players, and how calm he is and how focused he is on the small details. And that defense, you're right. If that defense stays healthy, James Bosa in particular stay healthy. It makes a big difference for them in how they're able to attack the quarterback and play pass coverage. So I do believe the Chargers are going to be a team that could strongly win 10 games, maybe even 11, because I think the Chiefs will win that division with 13, if not 14 wins, because they're that damn good going towards week one of their season coming up. Uh, are the Pack the team to beat in the NFC North? And uh, if not, uh, well, who will be pushing them the most, do you think? Any Detroit, that's for sure. <laughs> Unless they bite kneecaps off. I was about to say, how many for... kneecaps are you? you got to play the Lions <laughs> twice a year. I mean, I uh, hope you got a lot of guys on the practice squad with good legs. I know we've been, we've been going with this wrestling theme today. They're like the ECW, right? The hardcore team that they want to just put tables and ladders and fire all, all along the football field. I think the Packers are the team to beat in that division. They know, Andrew, that this is probably their last window that they have with this core in place because we know Devontae Adams may be on the outs after this year, now in his late 20s. A-Rod probably in his last games uh, with the Packers. And look, they've reformatted that O-line. And they're not, they're not the same O-line as they once were, losing Lindsay to the Chargers. But my question mark for this Packer team isn't going to be the offense. It's going to be their defense. Because the number of times that they couldn't get off on third down against Tampa raised a lot of fire alarms about this team and how they are as an organization. So can they put it together on defense and finally come up with a big play to alleviate the pressure off of A-Rod to continually come up with a big play himself here. So that defense will be the reason why Green Bay goes either one and done or very deep in the playoffs again. Uh, Mo Khan with us. Uh, we've touched on the National Hockey League. We've touched on the CFL. We've touched on the NFL. But considering you are, like me, a renaissance man of sports, Mo, <laughs> I cannot have you leave without yeah. quickly touching on Canada, Honduras, tomorrow world cup qualifying you know for folks that maybe have just thought oh canada we're not very good in men's soccer uh, i would argue that this is the best team we've ever put forth our best chance of making it to the world cup since we did back in the late 80s give us the rundown of what's at stake right now beginning on thursday night with canada taking on honduras and of course the united states awaiting on sunday they better be ready for the urine uh, bags I'll be thrown from the Honduran fans on the pitch as it once was. Remember that infamous game on the qualifier about seven, eight years ago when they got trounced by the Hondurans? So, no, jokes aside, the key for Canada is going to be this. We saw against Mexico in the Gold Cup that they can go toe-to-toe with, with the top teams, but that was without Alfonso Davies and a few other guys who were with the European clubs. 
My question for this Canadian team is can they get that early goal and can they get that second goal? Because I think they'll need at least two goals to beat Honduras at, uh, you know, in the situation that they're in right now. Uh, the health of Davies coming into this tournament, because again, he he was banged up in the offseason and he didn't really get much run with Bayern Munich until now. So how healthy will he be? Will he be the focus point for John Herman to get the ball through him as a channel guy, as a maestro of this formation? I love the youth of this of this club or this country, I beg your pardon. But coming in, the biggest thing for them now in this point of this qualifying format now is this. you got to be Honduras and you got to be El Salvador. Can you generate from those two games or from those four games, I beg your pardon, at least 10 of 12 points? Because if you do that, you're going to the World Cup. Because USA and Mexico are next level. You'd be lucky to get maybe two, if not three points from them. But you got to knock out El Salvador and Honduras. If you do that, Canada's going to Qatar next winter. The ladies sure have raised the bar for Canadian soccer. Uh, some pressure on our guys to get it done right now, huh? They really have. And I'm so proud of them for what they have gone through. I mean, look, I, I wish women's soccer was more prominent North American stage here. It's very big in Europe, as we know, Andrew. But it's now time for the CSA. It's now time for these clubs that we have for the CPL. Hopefully we can get the funding for it to, to form women's teams across Canada because we have so much talent now bringing at the seams here that we could become a power at the next World Cup in a couple of years from now. Well, and dude, it's the exact same conversation we were having at the start of the program talking about women's hockey. I mean, what a classic game last night. Marie-Philippe Poulin, I mean, a Canadian hockey legend. And, you know, the professional game right now in North America, which houses the two powerhouse squads in the world, um, still having a real tough time sustaining itself. And that would be huge for hockey, much like it would be for soccer. We're seeing soccer making way more progress south of the border, uh, but for both of those sports, it's long past time that we've got better opportunities for our women to play at a high level outside of international competition. Absolutely, and hopefully we'll have that. I don't want this to be a 10-year project. This has to be now. we got to lay out down the seeds now that we see this flourish in not a year, but hopefully in two or three years that we have a league for the women's to play in that they can go into the next level of their careers. Well, and especially I mean, on the soccer side, Olympic champs, and whether that's just adding a couple Canadian teams to what's happening in the States or whatnot, um, as I said, yeah. long past due, we'll hopefully do it. Dude, uh, let's make this uh, a much more frequent chat over the course of these next few weeks as we get ready for football season. Always love having you on the program. You'd be well, my friend, and thanks for doing this. Likewise, my friend. And you tell Janetti Joy Alfieri that, hey, he is the Janetti to my Shawn Michaels next time he's on with you. Watch out for the barbershop window. Great stuff, dude. <laughs> Take care, my man. <laughs> the one and only Mo Khan. Give him a follow on Twitter at MoCon19. Always great to have Mo on the program. That was a really, really fun chat. All right, we've got more to get to, some other stories to talk about. we got some picks. We'll hit the cool bet lines today. We do have a boosted uh, parlay for you that we'll tell you about in just a second. Uh, but... Little Brown Jug is back at the ballpark right now. I told you about this yesterday. Big homestand for the Gold Eyes. Tough to imagine them running the table and still making the playoffs. But I'll tell you what, there is still nothing, especially after how much time the team had been away from Winnipeg in getting out to the ballpark. And it's even better for this final homestand because at Craft Beer Corner, the great taste of Little Brown Jug is available. Uh, Get out to one of these games before the end of the season. Head on down the left field line. Post up with some friends at Craft Beer Corner and enjoy that little brown jug. And in addition to doing it at the ballpark, you can pick up the 1919, the Summer Lager, the Hefeweizen, the Summer Variety Packet, all great bottle shops in and around Winnipeg. 
And if you're downtown or you're looking to get together with some friends on a patio, why not do it at Little Brown Jug on William Avenue? A great spot to have a few cold ones, a couple slices, and of course you can pick up all the good stuff from Little Brown Jug inside the brewery as well. Little Brown Jug, order it for home delivery as well. If you'd like, order by two for next day delivery. It's all there online at littlebrownjug.ca. And of course, the Tour Championship gets going tomorrow. A big thanks to Breezy Ben for their support of our golf reports all season long. If you uh, have been thinking about a great spot for you and your family for uh, a golfing home next year, don't wait. Give Corey Johnson a call. They've been building a waiting list throughout this season after another great season at, at, at Breezy Bend. Junior program, ladies programs, a great men's night. They've got it all. And uh, maybe the best 19th hole as well. Uh, great social scene. BreezyBend.ca for more. Give them a call. Ask for Corey. And tell him your boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. All right. We will get to Assiniboia Downs picks a little bit later on. Uh, we'll also get to our cool bet picks right away, but let's get Michael Remus back in here. And uh, wow, Remo, last hour, a couple great chats. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on in the hockey world, but once we got Pagnotta on and got talking about the Habs and Eichel and the RFAs that have not been an issue over the past few weeks in Winnipeg, we realized there is still a lot of work to be done by a lot of the other general managers, even if things are pretty much set here in Winnipeg for the upcoming season. Yeah, and uh, we also didn't touch on a couple of the signings that happened today. The Islanders test. We've joked that Lou has had these signings done for a while. They just didn't announce them. Well, September 1, uh, they announced today four signings. Anthony Bavillier, uh, let's see, Anthony Bavillier, Casey Sezikis, Kyle Palmieri, and Ilya Sorokin. Uh, Sezikis is six times two and a half million AV. Palmeria four a year times five million AV, Bovillier three times uh, four point one five million AV, and Sorokin a three times four million AV. So we we had joked on this show, Hus, that they've had these deals done for a while and just didn't announce because we're like, well, why isn't Kyle Palmieri signed? He's he could get a decent deal. He got a twenty million dollar contract, and we're like, oh yeah, Lou's got those done. So uh, I think the other ones were kind of Parisi and Zajac. We I think we got a feeling that those ones are done there too, and maybe they announced. Uh, these guys first because they were on the team before the trade deadline. I mean, I don't know, but uh, this we did have some other news as well. So there was was some stuff to get to. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing work by Lou Lamorello to get all this done a month and a half ago and then just refuse to let other GMs know how much cap space he had, what he signed these guys to, and uh, roll out all the announcements on September 1st as you get ready for training camp. Uh, but yes, you mentioned no word on Travis Zajac, a Winnipeg native who spent his entire career with the Devils before going over to the island and the Islanders uh, at the trade deadline last year. And of course, Zach Parisi who was bought out by the Minnesota Wild had long been rumored to be going to New York. But as of right now, that's just a rumor. And uh, we're still waiting to hear about what happens with that. Um, we did talk about this yesterday, Remus. I know mean, we touched on the Olympics with um, with Dave earlier on the show. Um, but China is scheduled to be in the Olympics as a host team and in the same group as Canada and the United States, as well as Germany. They are the 32nd ranked team in the world if they actually played Team Canada in a best-on-best, best, they would probably be the biggest underdog in the history of the sport. Um, and it would probably be a very embarrassing scene for the Olympics and Chinese hockey. 
but it sounds like according to Ryan Kennedy of the hockey news that, you know, the IHF is saying that there will likely be no change with China at the Olympics. And, uh, We'll have to get ready for one of the, uh, well, for a few of the most lopsided games that, you know, unfortunately, I think we'll just be out there feeling sorry for the Chinese players that have to go up against the best teams of the world, completely overmatched and having no business in a competition of that level. Yeah, that sounds um, like a rough scenario. So Ryan Kennedy, as you said, saying uh, someone told him that uh, likely scenario, no change. So we'll wait and see. And David Pagnana seems convinced that NHL players are going. We've seen other reports, uh, John Shannon as well. I think Emily Kaplan was the other one. So uh, I have, you know, I'm not too excited, but I'm starting to brainstorm, you know, overnight streams at weird times, you know, promoing games and uh, speculating about rosters and wondering what Winnipeg Jets will be able to follow at the Olympics. I'm not there yet, but pretty soon. Uh, we can jump for joy, and I'll bring out all my Canada-themed hats and uh, toss them in the air. I'll be honest. I'm a lot closer to there today than I was beforehand. Just watching that Canada-USA game last night got me fired up thinking about the yes. Olympics. And, and and you know what? It was awesome. I know Nikolai Ehlers spoke with Mitch Clinton of Jets TV about the win for Denmark, and you could just hear the pride in his voice and We'll all be cheering for Canada as Canadians, but I think everyone will be pulling for Denmark uh, as well if you're a Winnipeg Jet fans after what Nick Ehlers and his team achieved on the weekend booking their ticket to the Olympic Games for the very first time. All right, let's get to some Bomber news. I mean, I know we sort of talked about the big stories in the Canadian Football League, but closer to home, the Bombers getting ready for the Labor Day Classic. Uh, The big news was the signing of Naaman Roosevelt in the middle of our conversation or right after our conversation with bombing on Monday um, something had to give and uh, Adarius Stewart has been released to make room for Naaman Roosevelt uh, but the Bombers practicing today no Nick Dembski and no Mike Muller, uh, Mike Miller on the field Brandon Alexander and John Trell Rockmore also not practicing um, really the health of this football team, considering some of the guys that were in and out of the lineup last week, will be a big storyline heading into Friday and that final practice before the team heads west on Saturday. Yeah, Ted Wyman also noting Jackson Jeffcoat uh, and Steve Richardson also non-participants. I think Jeffcoat and like Willie Jefferson have sat out practices the last couple weeks, so I'm not not as concerned about those. I think Dembski's the one to watch. Kelvin McKnight uh, took his spot. In receiving, that's according to Ted Wyman. And he thinks that's where Naaman Roosevelt would get in eventually, you know, be a nice safety net, short yardage. And it's funny because we mentioned that, um, who was it, Marshall Ferguson mentioned a couple weeks ago how much Zach Kolaris is locking in on Kenny Lawler on those key down situations. And uh, who was it, Justin Dunk said yesterday that those two had great chemistry with the Rough Riders. So maybe, you know, gives him another option. I'm looking forward to seeing what Roosevelt, you know, he's a sure-handed receiver and, uh, and he's experienced. So, you know, we'll see if he comes in. That's going to be a storyline heading into the weekend if he plays, or I think he would be in for the Banjo Bowl. seems like for sure the Banjo Bowl at least. Well, I mean, hopefully he plays on the weekend because yeah. I can tell you what, we'll be looking for a touchdown prop on Cool Bet Canada for Damon Roosevelt to get one against his former team in Mosaic Stadium. And I will absolutely be on that if there is one. Um, a couple of NFL notes and starting close to home, uh, Winnipeg's favorite export, the Strevolution. Chris Streveler has made the 53-man roster for the Cardinals. 
Uh, this is big for Streb because I, I was a little bit worried about his situation going into this season because of how poorly the playoff game went when uh, Kyler Murray was unable to be out there for the Cardinals. Uh, but by all accounts, Remus, and I've seen some tape and a couple great highlights from Strebler, he came in uh, much like he did last year, knowing that he really did need to ball out to make the club. And uh, he certainly did that. And I know all Bomber fans will be paying attention to Cardinals games, especially if Strebler gets out there. I do wonder whether Chris Kingsbury tries to use Strebler a little bit more along with Kyler Murray in games and situations that really benefit his skill set. The bottom line is if you uh, if you decided to join the Bird Gang last year when they signed Strevler, you can stay with them because uh, Strevy's back for another year with the cards. Yeah, let's see some two QB sets. I mean, you got two running quarterbacks. Like, mix it up. Have each of them throw. You could do a lot of creative play calling. But, you know, we talked last year when they brought him in, they wanted to be a pocket passer, and that's not his game. We saw highlights this preseason of him uh, just running up the gut, bowling over guys. So I, you know, I'm pumped for uh, Strebler another year on the roster. I mean, congratulations to him. And I think every, you know, he's has a special place in every Winnipeggers, you know, football fan's heart forever for what he did on the way to the Great Cup and in the Great Cup game. So we were here pulling for him, and it was amazing last year. It was a week one where. He got like he got into game action and he did. Uh, I remember he did like sneak. a he did a sneak on it and uh, got a first down. We we're like, oh yeah, we were like so fired up for that. <laughs> so and then he played at the end of the year. Uh, he started and he it didn't go well, but well, yeah, Kyler Murray wasn't able to play. And I mean, listen, I love Streveler and I see Ryan Friesen saying he's a prototypical NFL quarterback. I don't know what you're talking about, Ryan. You've had some very interesting takes today by in the chat. I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I mean, Strebler is more like a Tebow or more like a Taysom Hill. I mean, listen, if he could throw the way most quarterbacks do in the NFL, I mean, the guy would be one of the most devastating athletes in the sport. Um, and that's, you know, unfortunately, a big part of playing quarterback. I mean, we saw it here in Winnipeg. I mean, that's why Zach Galeras, the quarterback of the Bombers right now, he wasn't getting it done after Matt Nichols was injured. I mean, there's some things that he does better than anyone else, and that's run over dudes like a freaking bulldozer. Um, but you do need to be able to throw. And what was great to see with his performance in the preseason, albeit probably against backups or guys that got cut, uh, was the fact that he was able to move it a little bit more. And I think he absolutely needed to do that to show Cliff Kingsbury that you know, he's more than a one-trick pony. Um, so anyways, shout out to Strevy for making the team. Uh, we'll all be watching the Cardinals this year in that ultra-tough NFC West that we talked about a little earlier with our man, Mo Khan. Um, Terrible news for the Vikings, Reem. Irv Smith, uh, we knew that he got hurt in training camp. They were wondering about the severity of the injury. Well, it's bad news. Out four to five months, essentially out for the season for the talented young tight end for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I know some people probably took a late flyer on him in fantasy because they thought that that passing offense, you know, he might have a good spot in it. Uh, no spot this year. Uh, another tough blow for the Vikings through training camp. They've been dealing with a lot of other things. Uh, the loss of a talented young starting member of their offense, not something you want to hear just days away from the opening kickoff. Yeah, big things are expected of him uh, as well. I mean, he's been on the radar for a while as a you know breakout player, so I think they were hoping it would be a shorter-term injury, like four to six weeks, but yeah, he's done for the season. They acquired um, former Jet Chris Herndon yesterday, I, uh, I'm pretty sure, to uh, fill that spot. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but let me... I'll confirm that after. 
Yeah, and I guess the other big story is uh, the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, they got, they got and, hurned in, sorry. Okay, nice. Uh, and where they're going to be playing. And uh, it has been announced that the Saints' home game for week one of the season will not be played in the Superdome. And they might be out of the Superdome for a while, considering the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. They will be playing in Jacksonville. Uh, the Jags will uh, technically host, the Saints will host the Packers in Jacksonville for that first game. And um, you know, I'm not sure what I expect from the Saints. I mean, there's no Drew Brees this year. Uh, Michael Thomas has been put on the six-game list, uh, the pup list, so he's out for at least, I believe, the first six games of the season. Um, but I'll tell you what, I think there's a real potential for Sean Payton to potentially be coach of the year because if they do have a good season, if Jameis Winston steps up, if they do win their fair share of games, become a playoff team, the fact of the turnover, in addition to the fact that they're likely going to be on the road for all intents and purposes for the first month in the season, uh, those are challenges that not many other teams in the NFL are dealing with right now. Um, so it does make for a very interesting month one for the Saints in in a division that everyone just sort of assumes the Bucks will run away with, uh, considering the state of the Falcons right now and the Carolina Panthers, I'm less down on. I'm actually quite excited to see what Sam Darnold can do in that Matt Rule offense. But, you know, Jameis Winston is a guy everyone will be looking at to see if he can, you know, sort of take the torch from Drew Brees after learning a lot underneath them. And if he does, I think that cheap one-year deal that he signed with New Orleans will be the best movie ever made after being uh, cut loose by the Bucks after they got Tom Brady. Yeah, Jameis Winston, you know, not a great real-life quarterback, but he was great for fantasy. Um, TD obviously threw a lot of interceptions, threw a lot of touchdowns, threw a lot of bombs. Uh, I like Jameis, Jameis Winston, but yeah, that division, interesting. I, I am curious about Sam Darnold, if he can, can uh, continue the streak of players, you know, leaving an Adam Gase run offense and having success. Oh, I mean, yeah. This would be the ultimate. I mean, By the we, way, yeah. week one, Jets <laughs> at Panthers. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was say this would be the Sam ultimate Darnold's test. in my DraftKings lineup. I've already put him in my lineup right now, Reem. And Carolina, I mean, they had a nice offense last year with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and quarterback. He's moved on to uh, Denver now, but we'll see. That would be a big. That's a big revenge game for Sam Sam Darnold there with Carolina. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. Oh, geez, I just realized that um, we are now, I was about to say, we got 31 of 40 in our CFL contest. Make that 32. Really? Oh, wow. I haven't even looked. I haven't even because sent Because I, I forgot to sign up for it. Okay. So I'm in right now. If you want to get in, there's eight spots left in yeah. the weekly CFL DraftKings contest. And then next week, CFL and our first NFL contest of the year. I am so fired up for it. Um, all right, let's get to the cool bet lines of the day. Uh, and, you know, well, should shout out at the same time our Canadian tennis players. Yesterday, Bianca win, Chapo win, and Vasek Pospisil with an amazing comeback win in five sets. A big upset for Vasek. I know Kubet had a, a Canadian tennis prop yesterday that was boosted to plus 450 for those three players to win. Wish I got on it before the game started because that one came through. Um, we do have a lot of action coming up tonight at the U.S. Tennis Center. Um, Denis Shapovalov is actually going to be going tomorrow against uh, Cabrales Benya. Shapo, a huge favorite at minus 111. Uh, Novak Djokovic is going to be in action tomorrow as well. Uh, probably the best tennis matchup uh, as far as odds on the men's side. 
Carl Anderson and Diego Schwartzman going at it. That'll be a night game tonight. Schwartzman minus 200 plus 175 over on the women's side uh, a little bit later on. Wow. Two top American players, uh, Sloan Stevenson, Coco Goff going on it. Uh, the youngster Goff minus 233 favorite. Uh, you've also got uh, Angelique Kerber, a minus 370 favorite. Not a lot of close matches right now. A lot of chalk. May have to do a coward's parlay a little bit later on. But if you go to Cool Bet right now, um, if you missed the lock shop earlier on, we had a great show today. Uh, we talked CFL, Labor Day weekend, Tour Championship in golf, a number of NFL futures. And our partner parlay this week goes over three different sports. Chris Abbott is taking the Orioles tonight plus three and a half. So essentially the Blue Jays to win by three or less runs. Dustin Nielsen has the Alouettes money line over Ottawa on the weekend. And I am in on Canada. We talked about them with Mo Khan. Canada to beat Honduras in regulation in the World Cup qualifier on Thursday night. That bet by itself was plus 220. It's boosted to plus 325. So if you want to ride with us on the Lock Shop Partner Parlay, go to Cool Bet. Far left, you'll see it underneath the uh, U.S. Open's uh, men's singles, women's singles, and, of course, that NHL playoff and Grey Cup special we talked about yesterday. And If you haven't played a Cool Bet before, but you'd like to open an account before the beginning of NFL season or right now to get in on this parlay, use the promo code WST. You'll get a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. Um, all right, Remo, we got to get to some ASD picks for tonight. I did squeeze out one triactor last night on the wheel, uh, which just about made it an even night, but um, I'm looking for a better result tonight. Uh, where are you going with your selections for the track? And as I mentioned, I believe Kirk went five for five out of the gate last night, so you'd probably be better off tuning into ASD Live. But uh, I am interested to see what you have for tonight. Yeah, don't don't take my picks. Huh? Um, I'm like about to throw in the towel on making any picks. Uh, the only win <laughs> I can get now is when I one of my horses on my tractor gets scratched. And then I get a refund. That's the only way I'm winning any bets these days. <laughs> I have I have two bets in. Three bets. Three bets for today. Uh, let me go to Assiniboy Downs. I have it favorited on HPI bet. Race one. I'm doing a $10 Quinella, Del Vecchio, and Mr. Dazzle. Uh, I know Del Vecchio historically has done very well. So I'm going with that one. Race four. Race four. Four, I have to show Wallowitz. I like Wallowitz. Uh, I think it's the character from Big Bang Theory. And on race, so that's the show. And race five, I like to win. Four, six, taking the night train. I'm assuming named after the excellent Guns N' Roses song. So those are my <laughs> picks. Those are my picks today. Nicely done. All right. I'm just looking here to race four. Well, I'm going to start it off with race number one. I'm taking a Quinella, the 2-3 Quinella, Mr. Dazzle, who is the favorite, along with Shooting Money. Oh, I, yeah, I like Shooting Money. Who comes in at 5-1, to one, so we'll do a 2-3 parlay there. I'm going to take straight winners in these next couple races, probably do a bit of a bigger bet on Kamano Comet. Uh, I've had some great. His last five races, three firsts, two seconds. Uh, so we're going to ride with Kamano Comet in race number two. In race number three, 
Uh, we're going to go with Crimson Bow to win. Uh, Lady Nyla, a huge favorite, but I think this is one of these races where um, they're sort of, you know, no man's land a little bit as far as how many they've gone. No real top horses at this point. Although Halo's Phenomenon got a second place in its second race out. Maybe I'll tweak it over to there. Uh, or, you know what, I'll tell you what. Why don't I do a 2 4 I'm just going to put two bucks on this, a 2-4 Conella on that one, and I'll put a Toonie on two to win. And then going down to race number four, I think this is the one where we're going to uh, we're gonna get in on a little bit of a uh, triactor action. We are going to take Tiz Funny, who is the clear favorite at race number four. Uh, we'll also pop in Maddie's Pro number five, and how about Wolowitz? So three, four, five in race number four for my triactor wheel. Again, you can make your selections at hpibet.com, but make sure to, if you're planning on it or get to the track early, if you're going to be there at live racing, it'll be on all the screens with volume. Stretch and Kirk, who does such a great job handicapping, been on a bit of a heater lately. They'll give you some great picks that you can make from home using hpibet.com or right up at the window at Assiniboia Downs. Um, it's actually a beautiful night for live racing. And I think these uh, yesterday and today, probably the two warmest days we're going to have over the course of the next week, Remo. And uh, of course, we've only got a couple more weeks of live racing after this. I will say it was a bit of a, a shock to the system when I looked at my phone this morning and saw September 1st. Uh, hard to believe that we're uh, already getting into the fall. I'm pumped about it. NFL's here, NHL training camps, but you do wonder where the heck the summer went. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So I know Brian Munns mentioned yesterday, well, it's September 1st, and we think about hockey starting up. I'm getting on the ice uh, for the first time in like a year uh, next week, which I'm very excited about. And as you said, NFL, Banjo Bowl, it's here. It's September, us. So, uh, Kind of exciting, I guess. We've got some exciting things on the horizon. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, listen, before we go, we talked about the Mets, the thumbs down celebration, if you will, and Sandy Alderson going out to the, uh, you know, the statement that it was unacceptable. It wouldn't be happening. Uh, I had a number and I saw Feinberg tune in. I believe the Mets were down four in the ninth yesterday and, Everyone looking forward to seeing the boo birds rain down on these guys that are so clueless, making 300 million like Lindor and booing the fans after their horrible month that seen them drop like a stone out of first place. Uh, well, they actually monster uh, mastered a massive comeback with five runs to come back and win. Javi Baez scored the game-winning run yesterday for the Mets, Reem, but the story afterwards wasn't the cheering, the thumbs up, or the thumbs down for fans. But it was a full team-wide search for some jewelry that was lost in the celebration. Only the New York Mets. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Javi Baez turning, you know, a sad, uh, I don't know, sad moment, but a embarrassing moment for the team into a great one, scoring the winning run. And then after the celebration, immediately starting to look for his earring, GM Sandy Alderson out there after the game looking for the earring. And then... Today, they're still looking for it. They brought up the analytics department to look for this earring around home <laughs> Breaking down plate. some video. Yeah, they were breaking down video, trying to like zoom in and see where this thing <laughs> fell off. Why you're wearing a diamond earring playing baseball? Actually, the like the dumbest thing ever. Um, 
I mean, if you care that much, you know, about it falling off and having to like look for it, maybe like, you shouldn't be wearing playing a you know wearing a playing baseball. I don't wear diamond earrings. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe it helps him play better. Seems like the dumbest thing ever. No, I, I remember <laughs> when I played baseball, they wouldn't make you. Uh, they would make you take off all your jewelry, like bracelets and all all that stuff. Though, I mean, I don't know. If, is that important to you that you have to like look or get the GM to look around in the dirt or maybe you shouldn't be wearing it? That's what I think. I don't, I don't know. What, what job would the GM like look for your diamond earring? I mean, the guy cares about his players. I mean, you can say that about him. Yeah. Well, after flaming them publicly in the media the day before, I guess they're trying to do a bit of bridge building there in yeah. New York between the team, the players, management, and of course, oh yeah, the fan base that's supposed to fill that place and uh, normally cheer for the home team like, as opposed to giving the gears as they definitely deserved after that ridiculous display on the weekend. They're still looking for it today. So, I mean, we'll, Everyone's wondering now about Javi Baez's earring. I, ho- I hope he finds it because, <laughs> I mean, I've lo- I lost stuff. It gives me like anxiety, um, you know, losing something. So <laughs> hopefully, and hopefully they uh, they find it. It sounds expensive, but again, like maybe you know, wearing it while playing baseball and sliding yes. it home not not smart. That's what I'll say. <laughs> no doubt. Sorry, sorry Javi. Uh, hey, great show today. Big thanks to Dave Pagnotta and Mo Khan for joining us. A shout out to the AWO uh, in the chat yeah, and I, everyone I, okay. uh, every, everyone with us. <laughs> Can you explain the AWO to me? Oh, I, I saw I saw this get developed, but I, you know, I was obviously talking to Mo and talking to Dave, so I didn't really catch all of it. This is the wildest thing in our chat. I think that's <laughs> happened. So during the chat. Who's going back and forth? WST Audio Gremlin, which is now the WST Hollywood Audio Gremlin. Uh, <laughs> Remus's mute button and Hustler's Diet Pepsi decided they were forming a wrestling-style faction called the AWO, the Audio World <laughs> Order. <laughs> and uh, I think they got they got like Jeff Cabela's and uh, Eric. And it's in there too. I don't know. And uh, everyone was just coming up with like, everyone's like, what's AWO and putting out fake acronyms. Uh, I saw a bunch of people. So, well, hey, hey, let me throw this to the AWO and the rest of you. Um, uh, If you saw the lock shop today, uh, you would know this, um, but definitely make sure to check that out. It was a really fun show today with Dusty and Chris Abbott. Uh, Dustin's in doing the game in Regina this week, and then he is here for the Banjo Bowl next weekend. Uh, we're expanding the lock shop back to two times a week. We'll do CFL, hockey stuff earlier in the week, and then the Friday show will be devoted to the National Football League weekend. We'll make our picks within the group for the lock shop team in the Circa Million contest uh, and you know make our picks for the weekend. Well, it just so happens that Dusty's here for week one. So we're going to do a live lock shop on Friday night, September 10th, probably around 7 o'clock. I will confirm the location over the next few days, uh, but it'll work as a bit of a combo lock shop and WST meetup. Uh, Hopefully we'll have Remus there as well. Myself, Chris Abbott from CoolBet, and Dustin Nielsen from TSN coming in to do the game. Uh, Will be a lot of fun. So uh, we've been waiting to sort of get some people together. I think that is going to be the date. So Friday, September 10th, 
put it on the calendar. I'll have more details. We'll put it on our socials as well. But we'd love to see the AWO get together as well as uh, the rest of you that join us daily here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, whether it be on the podcast or live on YouTube in the chat. So uh, look forward to that. It's going to be a great weekend with the NFL kickoff on Thursday. Then we'll do the lock shop and have some fun on Friday night. Uh, get the gang together. Saturday, Banjo Bowl. Sunday, week one of NFL action. Maybe my favorite weekend of the year. Uh, once again, congratulations to our Canadian women, making us all proud and winning that gold medal. What a game last night was. Uh, big thanks to Dave Pagnotta, as well as Mo Khan for jumping on today. Two great conversations. Tomorrow, we'll have more hockey talk with Travis Yost. And uh, probably a little more in the National Football League and the CFL as we get ready for a big weekend this weekend. And then, of course, the following kickoff for the NFL season um, and the latest off the ice in the NHL as well. Uh, nice that there's not a lot of big Jets news right now, but of course we'll have the latest on the Bombers as well as they get ready for the Labor Day Classic. Big thanks to Little Brown Jug, Breezy Bend, Cool Bet, Boston Pizza. Don't forget, Burger Week starts today. Assiniboia Downs, our friends at Not Auto Corp, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Royal Sports, and the good stuff, Canadian Club Whiskey. We'll do another Bomber I Love Ride giveaway with Canadian Club on Friday on the program, so make sure you join us, especially towards the end of the show live on YouTube. Uh, but other than that, folks, have a great night tonight. Live racing, gold eyes, still lots to do right now as we get into September. We'll be back with you tomorrow with the latest from around the hockey world, latest on the Bombers, and much more on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. You have a great night. We'll catch you tomorrow here on WST. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.